third week of a series walking through what we look at as the most well-known prayer in human history, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And this is this prayer, this pattern of prayer that Jesus gives us, it's, a, it's in response to uh, the question that he gets from his disciples. How do we, as your followers, how do we pray like you? Because Jesus' disciples, they could recognize in Jesus the way that he prayed was different, that it was powerful, that there was this, this passion in the way that he prayed. It wasn't a formality, and there was a, a personal nature to it, that there was an intimacy in the way that Jesus prayed. And his disciples, just like us today, they wanted to know, how can I pray? How can we pray like you do, Jesus? And and this is an important question as we as we looked at the last couple of weeks that, that prayer is not just a part of our or an aspect of our life together in following Jesus. It's not part of a healthy and balanced breakfast. Uh, prayer is, we've said, the oxygen or the fuel or the heart of our Christian life. And in a quote that we've read the last couple of weeks, I just want to read it again because I think it helps. Uh, calibrate what we're talking about when we're talking about prayer and the Lord's Prayer. Eugene Peterson, he says, a kingdom of heaven life consists of things to do and ways to think. But if there is no prayer at the center, nothing lives. Prayer is the heart that pumps blood into all the words and all the acts. So we can't live without prayer as we follow Jesus. And if we try to live without prayer, if we try to follow Jesus without prayer, which we all do, we will find ourselves ineffective and lifeless and, and struggling. Uh, and even if we do pray, those things will, will probably be true, but certainly when we are not living a life of prayer. So last week we learn that we approach God in prayer. We come to God in prayer as our Father. So if we have placed our faith in Jesus, we've been adopted into the family of God as his sons and daughters. So prayer, in many ways, is just spending time with our dad. Right? We, we saw that, that Jesus was teaching us to pray with an intimacy and relationship to God as our Father. And, and just simply to enjoy Him for who He is. To enjoy God for who He is. So Jesus is showing us, you have access to God as your Father. And you can enjoy intimacy and relationship and closeness with Him. So today, we move on to the next phrase in the pattern of prayer that Jesus has given to us where he says, hallowed be your name. So we'll look at this phrase in three parts, a hallowed name, a hallowed heart, and a hallowed life. So let's read uh, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We'll read verses 9 through 13. It's on page 811 if you're using one of the Bibles in the back there. Jesus instructs us, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's will. Let's pray once more. Father, we are once again in a moment of need. Then how amazing it is that in the great need we have that you've invited us to come to you with, with all of our needs. That you are sufficient and more than sufficient to meet every need that we have. Even the ones that we don't that we don't even see or recognize in ourselves because we think of ourselves as self-sufficient. But we need you today. We need you just as much today as we ever have. We are desperate, even if we don't see it in ourselves. And so that's why we're praying. That's why we're coming to you. That's why we gather together because really we're desperate for you. And thank you for the invitation that you've given to, to come to you in our desperation. I am desperate for you. Now, I need you to work right now for, for this is not something I can do, preaching, speaking, teaching. Um, without you, it's, it's nothing. So would you move? Would you do something for your glory through, through the time that we have now? Would you bless the preaching, the hearing, the understanding, and the believing of your word. We pray it all in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. So after showing us who we are praying to, our Father, Jesus begins by teaching us how to pray. Here's how you pray. Here's the pattern of prayer that you can use as you approach God our Father. And the Lord's Prayer, the structure of it is really very simple. It's just six requests. Here's six things that we can ask God for as we pray. The first three requests have to do with God. Would your name be hallowed? Would your kingdom come? Would your will be done? And the second three requests have to do with us. Would you provide for us? Would you forgive us? Would you lead us and, uh, and rescue us from temptation? Right? So, so the first three have to do with God asking him to do something on his behalf. And the second three requests have to do with us asking for something on our own behalf. So first Jesus says, pray that the name of God, that the name of our Father would be hallowed. Now, this is just a word that we don't use. What does it mean to hallow God? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the only time of year in October when we have a word in modern English that sounds like hallow. We have Halloween. It's this, it's this day at the end of the month, and, and it just it, it harkens back to some golden age in the past of the hallowed halls of history or something like that. But we don't really know what it means so why do we keep using this word? Even modern English Bible translations continue to use the word hallowed in relationship to the Lord's Prayer. So we need a definition. We need some, we need some, uh, some clarity on what does this word mean. And hallowed means to be known or to be seen or to be honored as 
holy or as set apart. So when we hallow God, we, we see his name, we see his character, his identity, who he is. When we hallow God, we are treasuring him, loving him more than any other. So to hallow God is to properly recognize that he stands alone, that he is unique in all of the universe, that there is no one like him. There's no one that is more worthy of honor and reverence and worship. This summer, our family, we spent a week out at Triumphant Life Camp or TLC, uh, a Christian camp uh, out on Highway 36. And I had the privilege of getting to be the camp pastor there, which meant one of my jobs was to lead devotions for the counselors and the staff of people who are working there that week. And I've never done this before. I'm not really a camp person. I didn't grow up going to camp. So I didn't really know what my job would be. So I took it very seriously, did a lot of preparation for it. It ended up being a lot more relaxing and fun than I was anticipating. But um, the, the first, the whole theme of the week was recognizing the holiness and the, the glory of God, the bigness of God. And so all the devotions I was doing were around that theme. So the first, the, the first night we're there, I said, tomorrow, when we meet in the morning for our devotions, I want you to bring a stick with you. Bring a stick with you. And this was kind of like its own, um, like a psychological test or something. Like what kind of stick will each person bring that will help me get to know what kind of person this is. Uh, and, and through the form, all the younger people, they brought like the young, young teenage men uh, who were counseling or serving there, they brought like giant sticks, like a, like a branch from a tree in. And it's like, well, yeah, that's, that seems like something you would do. And other people just brought a normal stick. A lot of people, because it was 7 in the morning, no one had a coffee, they forgot they had to bring a stick. But thankfully we were at camp, so you just run outside and grab a stick because they're all over the place. So I, I said, take your stick and, and name something that, that is valuable or has worth or, or has some kind of gravity in your life or, or whatever you think society views as valuable or important. And I said, when you name that thing, lay down your stick in, in the middle of a circle here. And some people just start saying, well, relationships are important, right? Like, marriage or family or friendships or, or those kinds of things. Relationships are important, so lay the stick down. Education is important, put that stick down. Our reputation, what people think about us, how we're perceived by other people, that's another stick, put that one down. Money, career, food, time, right? So we have this pile of sticks that is growing there in the middle of some really significant things, probably the most important things that we could name. And then I read them Jeremiah chapter 10, where Jeremiah says, All this is nothing compared to you, O God. You are wondrously great, famously great. Who can fail to be impressed by you, King of nations? It's your very nature to be worshipped. Look far and wide among the elite of the nations. The best they can come up with is nothing compared to you. Stupidly, they line them up, a lineup of sticks, good for nothing but making smoke, gilded with silver foil, covered with gold, hung with violet and purple fabrics. 
No matter how fancy the sticks, they're still sticks. But God is the real thing, the living God, the eternal King. When we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we are praying to see God for who he really is, that he is the living God, that he is the eternal King, that he's our Father who is sovereign and holy, that there's no one like him, and in comparison to him, everything else is just essentially a pile of sticks. All these things that we spend all our energy and our time, and we're consumed and we're anxious, all of them are nothing in comparison to him. And one of the best ways that we can recognize that God is that, that he is holy, that he's unique, that there's nothing like him, is by looking at what we call his attributes. These are the things that God has revealed to us about himself. And if God had not shown these things to us, if he hadn't revealed them to us, we wouldn't really know anything about him specifically. We'd, we'd have a sense that, well, there's something out there something, but, but without God's revelation to us through his word and through Jesus Christ, we wouldn't know what he is like. So we can get a sense for the holiness, the uniqueness of God through looking at his, his attributes, the things he's revealed us about himself. So here's some examples for us. The first thing that we can say about God is that he is. He, he exists. And that he exists in a way that nothing and no one else does. That he, uh, from all eternity, he has been. He is. He never had a beginning. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 3, I am who I am. Say, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So God is in a way that no one else and nothing else is. At the heart of, of God's name or who he is, uh, there's this reality of his sovereignty and of his absolute freedom in all things that, that he, in a way that no one else does, he makes all of his decisions out of infinite wisdom, that he makes no mistakes, and that no one can question him that he alone in all of the universe is self-determined. We like to think of self-determination as something that, that sets us apart and makes us unique, but God is self-determined in a way that nothing and no one else is. Again, God says to Moses in Exodus 33, I will proclaim before you my name. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Not only does God have this, uh, he, he doesn't have it, he exists. He exists in sovereignty and freedom. He's also infinite in his power. His freedom, his wisdom, his purposes cannot be stopped, cannot be slowed down. There's no one who can say that. Think about how many plans you've made this week that have not worked out the way you wanted them to. I flew 
in an airport. Yeah, that's where you go to fly. Uh, I went to an airport, and you just realize how you have no power over anything. I mean, they don't even let you wear your belt walking through the security line. You have to, you have to do everything they tell you. You're like a sheep, just going here, and you got to do this and show them this. And if you mess up one little thing, oh man, it is awful. And they look at you like, don't you know what you're doing? Don't you know you have to take all these things out? Every time I go to an airport, the rules are different, it feels like. You have no power. God alone is all-powerful. None of his plans and purposes fail. God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 6, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. The existence of God, the freedom of God, the omnipotent power of God, they're also woven together with his mercy and his love. When he declares his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, he says, the Lord, the Lord, that's who I am. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Only God can be merciful like this. Only God can forgive iniquity, can forgive sin. Only God is gracious and steadfast in his love that never wavers. God says to the Apostle John in the book of Revelation, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. You and I, every other human being, we have all had our beginning. And we've all had our beginning in God. He created us. He has made us. And, and that means that we'll all be ultimately responsible and answer to Him. God will be our end. God is everybody's omega. He alone can judge us. He alone can look at our lives and determine who we are at the very core of our being. We will all meet him. We'll all be judged by him. And only God has that authority. No one and nothing else. To the prophet Isaiah, the Lord says, I am the high and lofty. I am the high and lofty one whose name is holy. God is holy. He is above. He is separate. He is unique from all that's common, from all that's ordinary, from all that's created. And that means he has extraordinary value. Another example I used with the, the counselors out of TLC was the Lord of the Rings. Why, why is the one ring so valuable and so sought after? Because it's the one ring. There's no other ring like it. And, and so there are many other rings that exist in that story, in that universe, but none of them have the power of the one ring. And that's why everybody is pursuing it. God has extraordinary value because there is no one like him. Because he is one of a kind. Lastly, and not really lastly, like we're just, just scratching the surface here of who God is, who he's revealed himself 
to be, he declares again to Moses in Exodus 34, You shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. So God has created us. He's created you and me to love him and to enjoy him. And he feels a holy, righteous indignation when we are drawn away to lesser things, to love and enjoy other things more than him. So he is the only being in all of the universe who can rightly feel a jealousy when we love something more than him. Because he is holy. There is no one like him. And this, again, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We could, we could spend hours going through the scriptures and finding ways that God alone is God alone. And next to him, our Father in heaven, everything else is just a pile of sticks. And we say, hallowed be your holy name. Next, let's learn what it means to have a hallowed heart. We've said a couple of times so far that the basis for our prayer life is always rooted in who we believe God is. The basis, the foundation, everything about our prayer life is always going to be rooted or flowing out of our belief of who God is. There's this quote from A.W. Tozer, I didn't put it in the notes, but I just keep coming back to it in my mind, where he says the most important uh, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's certainly true of prayer. What comes to our mind when we pray to God, that's the most important thing about us. So when we pray, as Jesus taught us here, hallowed be your name, we're asking God, shape and mold my heart. Shape and mold and direct the things that I believe about you. When we say, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, would you give me a true sense, a real sense of who you are. We're saying, help me to see you as you truly are, because I can't do that without you. We're asking God to transform us, to change our hearts to be in awe of him. So why do we have to ask this? Does it, we ever think about that? Why does God say, why does Jesus teach us to pray, hallowed be your name? Isn't God, we just read how many verses about the holiness and the uniqueness of God. Is, is Jesus saying we have to finish something or complete the holiness of God through our recognition of him? Is he less holy if we don't see him for that? No, it's, it's not that God is less holy, but that's, this is the request part of the prayer. I want to see you for who you are. Why, why does Jesus say this? Why do we have to ask for this? Uh, there's, there's a book called The Holiness of God by this author named R.C. Sproul, and he answers this question, how can we love a holy God? And the simplest answer is that we can't. Loving a holy God is beyond our moral power. The only kind of God we can love by our sinful nature is an unholy God, an idol made by our own hands. 
a pile of sticks, right? Unless we are born of the Spirit of God, unless God sheds His holy love in our hearts, unless He stoops in His grace to change our hearts, we will not love Him. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we are asking God, change my heart. Give me a hallowed heart, a heart that loves you for who you are, because without you I cannot see I'm blind without you. My heart is cold without you moving in me and on my behalf. When we pray, John Piper says, when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking him, Father, cause your great and holy name to be honored and reverenced and esteemed and treasured above all things everywhere in the world, including my heart. Hallowed be your name in our hearts. Lastly, when we pray, we are asking, hallowed be your name in our lives. So I mentioned earlier that this week I spent a couple of days with uh, several other Acts 29 pastors. We were in Las Vegas, and we spent so many hours together, early in the morning to late at night, just talking. Uh, this was supposed to be kind of restful, but I was and still am very tired from being away uh, at this trip because it was just emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally very tiring because of the energy we were giving to one another. It was, it was really wonderful uh, when we're talking, when we're eating, when we're praying together, we're confessing our sin and our weaknesses and our shortcomings to one another, encouraging each other, learning a ton of stuff, together. We also threw some axes together. Have you guys ever gone axe throwing before? They have that in Las Vegas. They have everything there. Uh, and th that's the wildest, craziest thing we did in Las Vegas was to throw axes at a target. Uh, so that was exciting. One of the topics of our conversation together that we came back to several times was the sadness of knowing some of the same people that we have seen who have fallen out of the ministry because of sin. Pastors that we've known, pastors that we have respected and learned from and worked alongside of who have disqualified themselves from leading in Jesus' church because of their unhealthy desire for power and for influence in, and authority or because they were unfaithful in the areas of their sexuality or money or, or many other many other things. And it was really sobering to, to talk about because so many of the, the people that we were talking about were people who seemed to be really godly leaders, people that we looked up to and that we learned so much from and were really influential in our lives. How does, how does that happen? How does this happen? How do people who are leading others in following Jesus, how do they end up making such a mess in, in some, really some pretty basic areas of, of being a disciple of Jesus, right? This is not like advanced math, right? This is just the basics of, of following Jesus. And, and these leaders, in so many ways, have made a mess of these basic things. And, and one of the things that we talked about was that, that when you're involved in ministry, you are around holy things, sacred things, 
so much that they sort of become normal. They sort of become routine. They become things that you you are used to. Now we could we could look at for for myself. These are things all that I have wrestled with. That, that reading the Bible can become a textbook to teach from. Prayer can become a to-do list or obligation or or a tool for trying to change people that I that I want to see change in different ways. Mission, extending the love of Jesus to other people to become an obligation. I better do that because I'm a pastor. Discipling people, following Jesus in community, it can become a process that I'm evaluating or looking at instead of a way of life. And so maybe you think, well, I'm I'm not a pastor, thank, thankfully, so, so I'm not in danger of those things happening to me. But I think you can even recognize in those things that I'm saying that you're not off the hook here. Right? These are things that we all struggle with as we follow Jesus. That when we come to a church gathering and we're singing songs about the holiness and the greatness of God, when we're reading God's breathed out word, when we're praying to our Father in heaven, when we're spending time together in community, they can all become routine. And they become things that we view as optional uh, when, our, when our time allows it, when our schedule is clear. And we forget we are living a transformed life that has been given to us from God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our sense of God's holiness is uniqueness, his otherness, it could just become dull and monotone. There's no, there's no color in our, our looking at God. And then what happens? Things fall apart. Pastors disqualify themselves in many, many other ways that our lives fall apart. And that's a reflection of our lack of hallowing God, reverencing Him. A.W. Tozer says, it is impossible to keep our moral practices sound and our inward attitudes right while our idea of God is erroneous and inadequate. What happened to those pastors that we were talking about, what happens to us when we sin is that we have an inadequate view of God. We aren't hallowing him. We are, we're not honoring him. We're not living a hallowed life. And, and this is what we're asking when we pray. Hallowed be your name. We're praying, God, show me who you are so that my life, my life could be a reflection of who you are. That the things that I do, the kind of person that I am, is flowing out of my belief in you, who you are. Now let's think of an example. Uh, how many of you have been impatient with someone this week? Okay. I was traveling this week, okay? Both hands up. <laughs> Alright. You've been impatient with a spouse, a co-worker, a friend, one of your kids, uh, a roommate. And, and we know that the closer a relationship is, the more likely we are to lose our patience with someone and snap at them. 
Let them know that we're not happy. Maybe you're a passive-aggressive type. That counts too. Um, now, let's, let's think about that example that you're thinking of. It's time to do that on patient this week. Now, just imagine that I was in the room with you when that thing happened. So it's, it's not weird, just, just roll with me here. Imagine that I'm in the room with you, just Pastor Nate over in the corner in a non-creepy way, and your kid dumps a bowl of cereal on the dog. Just an example. For some of you, this is not theoretical. <laughs> or, or I'm in the laundry room when you find that your roommate has put your wet clothes from the washer on top of the dryer instead of putting them in the dryer and just starting them. I mean, come on. The most basic human courtesy here, right? I'm guessing that if I was there, that your reaction to these things would be more restrained, we'll say. It's a nice way to say it. If I wasn't there, you would react differently than if I was there. Do you think that's true? You guys don't want me that well. <laughs> why, why is that? Why is it that if someone else was in the room, that we, we would act differently? It's because we want people to think that we're, we're a good Christian, we're a good Christian mom, we're a good Christian friend, we're a roommate who's really patient and flexible, I never yell. And I, I get it because I do the same thing. I'm not using this example to shame you because I am right there with you. But if your reaction is different, if I'm in the room, what are you doing? What are we doing? We're howling that, that person, right? We're, we're showing respect to them in some way. At least respect for ourselves because we don't want people to know who we really are. If, if you are howling me, and you know who I am, you guys know who I am, you know that I am just a man. I'm a sinful man who has many weaknesses and flaws. I am not worthy of being hallowed. I don't deserve that. And, and none of us does, right? None of us deserves to be reverenced in a way like that. But our Father in heaven does. He does deserve that. He is worthy of our hearts, of our adoration, of our praise. And this is what Jesus is teaching us to do as he's teaching us to pray. When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking the Father, help me to see you for who you are and to live a life that recognizes you as infinitely holy, infinitely loving, infinitely Good. And if we have a sense, a regular sense, a constant sense of the holiness of God, of His glory, of His grandeur, do you think that's going to change the way that you live? And I, I thought about, you know, if I just said, what, how would you do, what would you live like if Jesus was over in the corner? But it's, it's more than that. It's more than just Jesus in the room. It's the grandeur, the holiness, the glory of God. Is that, if you have a sense of that, do you think that's going to change the way that you live your life? Do you think that's going to change the way you spend your money? Do you think that's going to change the way that you treat other people or the way you work or the way you talk? The way that you use your phone, the things that you put in front of you, the things that you go to 
for comfort or pleasure, right? If you have a sense of the holiness of God, isn't that going to change the way you do all those things? If we're living a hallowed life, a life that's conscious of the holiness and beauty of God, all of those things are going to change. So here's, here's how we'll end today. I want to invite you into a new practice of prayer. And it's, it's not complicated, so don't, don't be concerned. This is not revolutionary. This is really, really basic. So think, think with me about how you pray, how we pray. We usually just launch right into our prayer, right? God, help me with this issue. Provide for me, heal me, protect me, give me peace. Do something for me, right? That's typically how we pray. And, and for most of us, this is the only kind of prayer that we do. It's just, uh, it's just launch right into what we need at that moment. If we don't need anything, we're not praying. And if it's not for us, it's for somebody else, right? We're praying for someone else. And, and of course, we can and we should ask God for all of those things. He's invited us to do that. You don't have to be perfect in the way that you pray, but but let's let's follow Jesus' invitation in the way that He's teaching us to pray. Before we ask for something from God, before we make a request for something for ourselves or for someone else, let's ask for something for God. When you pray, let's ask for something for God. And I know that sounds a little strange, but but what if the first thing you prayed for was a grateful heart. Give me a grateful heart, a heart that's glad in you, God. What if, what if you, and this is just an example, what if you started your time of prayer by saying something like this, Father, just help me, please help me to see who you are and what you have done for me. Open my eyes to behold wonders, wondrous things, like Psalm 119 says. Help me to see that you have redeemed me. Help me to see that you've given me salvation, that you, you've justified me. You've made me righteous, even though I have sinned against you. You've lovingly, willingly given me your Son to bear the cross in my place as my substitute. Help me to see that you've united me to Jesus in his resurrection, that you've renewed me and transformed me, that you've delivered me from slavery to sin, that you've filled me with your Holy Spirit to empower me to follow Jesus, that you faithfully keep drawing me to repent from my sin, to protect me from falling away. One day you will, Jesus, you'll come Again, you'll set all things right, and I will be with you forever in your glory. Then we can pray for all those things and a thousand more. Help me to be grateful that you do all of those things without me lifting a finger or even noticing. So much of it has happened before time even began that your love was for me. You are amazing. You are God alone. And if our prayer begins in that kind of way, we're, we're helping ourselves see 
the majesty, the beauty, the holiness of God. And we haven't, we haven't really asked for anything yet. We're just saying, shape my heart. And in order to help shape my heart, I'm just going to go through some of the things that, that you've done for me. And, and who you are. It's like that list of things that we, we read earlier, we looked at earlier. When we do this, when we pray, when we begin like this, we're hallowing God's name. We're asking him to help us hallow his name. Help me to see. Help me to worship. Help me to adore you. Because that's really what Jesus is showing us in the Lord's Prayer. He's not just showing us how to pray, the mechanics of prayer, the, the form of prayer. Jesus is teaching us, here's how you worship God. Here's how you grow in your adoration of our Father in heaven. As C.S. Lewis once said, gratitude explains very properly how good of God to give me this. Adoration says, what must be the quality of that being whose far off and momentary coruscations, which I had to look up, and it means glittering or sparkling, Right? How? How? What must be the quality of a being whose far off and momentary just flashes of light that we see are like this? One's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. When you pray, follow the sunbeam of the things in your life, the things that you are grateful for, and follow them up to the Son, to the source, to the one who has given them to you, to the giver, so that you might worship and adore him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, would our hallowed hearts and lives declare, hallowed be your name, and would all the world see and know you, and worship you, our holy God, the one who stands alone. You 